This is The Guardian. Today, the Rishi Sunak era isn't even over, but his party is already fighting over what comes next. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As Russell Crowe says in the film Gladiator, a clip I regularly play for my staff, hold the line, stay with me. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Will your life echo hollow with... In a conference hall in London this week, we've been getting a vision of a possible future for the country's conservatives. And it's quite something. But I see no reason why every other country in the world should be prevented from feeling pride in itself because the Germans mucked up twice in a century. Oof. The Guardian's deputy political editor, Peter Walker, has been there. The National Conservative Conference, which everyone calls NatCon, it's a slightly strange event populated by this mixture of very earnest-looking kind of middle-aged US think tankers and some quite young and keen-looking British men. There are some women, but not many. I think it's probably 80% men. Speakers have covered the gamut from history to the economy to messages from the other side. Lady Thatcher and I have been communing about national conservatism and this new movement, and I'm happy to report that she is totally on board. We've heard about what's really ailing the UK. No, it's not climate change. It's not Russia or China or Iran. It's not the neo-Marxist ideology that has so weakened our institutions. It's not inflation or taxation or poor productivity. No, there is one critical outcome that liberal individualism has completely failed to deliver, and that is babies. And for the faithful, stirring calls to action. How much do you love your country? How much do you love the values that you claim to defend? Do you love them enough to tweet under your own name? Do you love them enough to change your child's school to one that's less woke and ignore the impact on your social status? The whole feel was like being plunged into this kind of alternative reality where British conservatives and was maybe 40% run by slightly Trump-leaning US rights-wingers. But when he stepped out onto the street, it was like emerging into, a, uh, into another world. It's easy to laugh these ideas off. Very easy. Not many people believe this stuff. It's pretty fringe. But if we've learned anything about British politics in the past decade, it's that just because an idea is crazy doesn't mean it can't change the country. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, a right-wing fever dream for the future of Britain. (laughs) 
Peter, you've spent the week at this conference, but you've also been keeping a close eye on the Tories during a difficult stage for the party, following its drubbing in the local elections earlier this month. Before we get to NatCon, what is the mood among Conservatives at the moment? The mood amongst Conservatives is not great. Um, There were quite a few of them who, before the local elections, he talked to them. And they had this idea that the fact that Rishi Sunak hadn't had any absolutely major crises in the six months since he'd been in power was starting to think, you know, we could maybe turn this around, you know, a hung parliament is possible. Mm. But then, you know, the voters spoke for the first time and the verdict was not very good. The loss of more than a thousand councillors was at the worst end of the Conservative predictions. For Labour's Sir Keir Starmer, I think it's his party's gain of less that any of them are any more worried than they were because a lot of them knew they were in big trouble. But we're seeing the first kind of stirrings in six months of this control breaking down, uh, which happened obviously under Boris Johnson towards the end of his period in power and under Liz Trust very, very quickly. Mm. We're starting to see not only MPs, but some cabinet ministers going policy-wise quite off-piste and trying to less destabilise the PM, but position themselves for the succession battle they expect is going to come at some point. So Rishi Sunak must be aware of this building unease. What is he doing to try to hold things together? Well, one of the interesting things about the reaction to local elections was on the night when it was very, very obvious that the Conservatives had done badly. His initial reaction was basically say, we're going to keep on doing the same thing. He gave this slightly wooden uh, address outside the Conservative HQ, which in 45 seconds repeated these five pledges he's been saying again and again twice. But the message I am hearing from people tonight is that they want us to focus on their priorities and they want us to deliver for them. And that's about halving inflation, growing the economy, reducing debt, cutting waiting lists and stopping the boats. That's what people care about. That's what they want us to deliver. And that's what I and the government are going to work very hard to do. So I think Tory MPs who are already sceptical of him would not be convinced by that. And even some of the ones who thought he might be a bit more yeah, I guess, agile and able to adapt to the political circumstances might be slightly worried. But to a great extent, it's moot. You will see almost no Conservative MPs who even privately want to try and topple him because they know having a third Tory leadership battle since 2019 would be absolutely terrible and would make them look like idiots in, in, the, in the eyes of the, uh, of the public. So in this strange stasis, where no one's necessarily actually doing anything, but some people are very much starting to think about what a Tory party after the general election loss will possibly look like. I mean, that is a horrible place for a Prime Minister to be. Nobody thinking he can win the next election and already beginning to plan the post-Rishi era. Sunak has more challenges ahead, including the release next week of Home Office data that's expected to show that, notwithstanding the government's rhetoric on refugees, net migration to the UK is actually at record highs. Peter, why is that? And is it likely to play into some of the tensions in the party? I think it is. And this is quite a tricky one because a lot of the recent migration fuss we've had has been people travelling by unofficial means crossing the channel in small boats, whereas the bulk of this is going to be people coming on visas, student visas and things like that. And on the one side, you have, you know, some of them still cling to this long forgotten David Cameron era promise to have migration down to the tens of thousands every year. But on the other hand, you've got, you know, people in the health department, you've got the chancellor, 
you've got all these people who realise that getting people in, whether to work in care homes, to pick fruit and veg in fields, or to be students in their universities, is an incredibly vital part. And one of Rishi Sunak's five pledges was to bring back economic growth. Mm. And if you suddenly cut back the number of legal migrants, you know, many of whom don't stay for very long, then that could really cause big problems on that. So that's one way where he finds himself torn between what he knows is sensible policy and then, on the other hand, the hard right of his own party. Another one of those issues that he's facing criticism over from the pro-Brexit wing of his party is a broken promise to do with EU laws. What's that about? Well, this is the um, slightly boring sounding but very exciting for Tory MPs retained EU law bill that was this promise that any EU origin law would be got rid of from the statute books by the end of the year. When Rishi Sunak was standing in the summer leadership contest and he had to try and present himself as being as Brexity as he possibly could, he did this famous campaign video where he posed in front of a shredder, putting bits of paper into it, which was to kind of show EU laws. And... In the end, the government had to say, look, we're not going to do this. We will abolish, you know, hundreds of EU laws by the end of the year. But we actually haven't got the capacity, we haven't got the bandwidth. It has become clear that time constraints have led to the programme becoming more about preserving EU laws than prioritising meaningful reform. You know, industry and business groups are very, very pleased. But the slightly more swivel-eyed Brexit wing of the party see this as an incredibly big broken promise. And Brexit, even though for most voters it's seen as a done deal, is very, very precious to them. And they see this as a sign of backsliding by Sunak. And they think that he's not the true Brexiteer that he presented himself as. All right. So those are the things the hard right are not happy with. Let's get on to the things that they do want. Peter, you've been at the Emanuel Centre in Westminster this week for the National Conservatism Conference. Tell us a little about what you heard. I don't care if you're a red Tory, a communitarian, a follower of Burke, or, heaven forbid, a libertarian free marketeer. None of these traditions has a future. We have Miriam Cates, who is very much on this cultural end of things. And she gave a speech which was saying that the UK's falling birth rate is the biggest crisis, you know, faced in the West. And basically said, go off and have loads and loads of kids. Unless we address the one overarching threat to British conservatism and indeed the whole of Western society. One of the other people we had was Yoram Hazoni, who is this Israeli-US thinker who's the head of the Edmund Burke Foundation, which organises the NatCon conference, who gave this slightly freewheeling speech which said the UK was plagued with neo-Marxist agitators who wanted to detach people in Britain from their past. The idea of home, the idea of family, the idea of congregation, the idea of nation. That somehow something can be conservative if the world has no borders. That something can be conservative if the world has no particular traditions. That something could be conservative if people can't remember what their own national and religious traditions were about. Now, all of this is, this is, this is not true. And it's brought us to a dead end. And it's ruining Western nations. It's brought us to cultural revolution. And he basically called on the audience to go out and have lots and lots of kids um, and uh, for their kids to become business people, but for their kids to do military service uh, first, which he seemed very, very keen on. Do these children, when they get older, do they learn about the, their national traditions? Are they willing? Do they think it's important to serve in the military? Which 
as I was thinking at the time, you know, if you're a conservative canvasser, you know, kind of, you know, wet doorstep in Stoke on a Wednesday night, that's going to be quite an interesting one to argue. Peter, these speakers were not just backbenchers or right-wing think tankers. One of the speeches that got the most attention was by one of Sunak's most senior cabinet colleagues, the Home Secretary Suella Braverman. What did she have to say? Well, Braverman's speech was interesting because, again, it was one of these speeches that was partly directed at what the NatCons, as they call themselves, wanted to be told, but had very much a domestic political audience too. The key bit of it that was briefed in um, advance to certain papers was her plea that the the migration numbers, you know, including the legal migration numbers, should be drastically cut. And it's not xenophobic to say that mass and rapid migration is unsustainable in terms of housing supply, public services or community relations. Nor is it bigoted to say that we have too many asylum seekers in this country for whom we have insufficient accommodation. That absorbing more and more people means building more and more homes is another one of those unfashionable facts that the Open Borders Brigade would say means we're starting a culture war. And you had this strange thing of the Home Secretary of the government basically calling for a slightly different policy to the ones that she actually implements. But then she also, the bits of the speech that weren't brief were much more cultural, like she doubled down on some comments she'd made about grooming gangs, political correctness and things like that. So she was positioning herself as being on that wing of the party. Striking how many of these speeches seem to be obsessed with culture and gender and race, were they particularly concerned with the economy, this other force that shapes the real lives of people in the UK? Well, this is one of the things that some Conservative MPs are slightly concerned about. They see a lot of focus on this conference, which is quite high profile, had two cabinet ministers, a former cabinet minister, a series of other Tory MPs, talking about issues which, if you give voters a blank sheet of paper and say, list your top 10 issues, rarely feature. And I think some Conservative MPs are quite worried that it has the impression of a Conservative party slightly out of touch, because most people, as all the polling shows, are mainly concerned with things like cost of living, you know, how they're going to pay their bills, NHS, all those things. And When you talk to academics and experts, they do say that if the Conservative Party was to go down this slightly more kind of Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump culture war thing, it might be a bit of an electoral cul-de-sac for them. Because the difference between the US and the UK is that Christianity, particularly evangelical Christianity, from which lots of this springs, in the UK is not really a thing. Coming up, are the Tory culture warriors a noisy fringe group? Or are they the party's future? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. 
If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. How much does Rishi Sunak buy into this national conservative vision? Is he this kind of culture warrior? Rishi Sunak's views on this are really, really interesting um, because he kind of presents himself as this kind of technocrat, this kind of tech bro. But as few people have argued recently, that's actually probably not the case. He does actually seem to be quite socially conservative and he does seem to very much buy into these things. You know, when he was fighting Liz Truss in the summer conservative leadership campaign, he wasn't very good at doing this kind of thing. In every uh, stump speech he did, he put this kind of 30-second stuff about trans issues and protecting our women, you know, which was a term he used. And it felt almost like he was having to play to the base. But the policy evidence is he very much believes in this. There's no signs that, for example, when the, you know, migration ban, the, you know, all these very, very strict immigration policies we put in, he's been very much on board with that kind of stuff. He's almost this kind of strange mixture. Somebody wants to present himself as a technocrat, but he does seem to buy into quite a lot of this. We also saw Michael Gove on Tuesday make the point that these ideas might excite the base, but probably won't get much traction among voters. And we'll get to the substance of that point shortly. But does the fact that he's made those remarks seemingly aimed at Suella Braverman's speech the previous day suggest that the leadership might still be a live issue in the Conservatives? I guess you could say he very politely slapped down some of the more excitable Conservative MPs by pointing out that elections tend to be won and lost on economic matters and public services and things like that. And by all means, stick up for your culture, but don't make it your number one thing. I don't think the leadership is an issue in terms of before the uh, election, because A, the only possible candidate to replace Rishi Senna would have been Boris Johnson. And he's such damaged goods and might not even necessarily want to try if it means you know, leading the party into a massive general election loss. You know, who knows, in nine months or a year from now, if the polls are even worse, they mm. might think they've got nothing to lose with a laugh throw of the dice. But at the moment, it very much feels like these are people positioning themselves for an opposition Conservative Party, where you have a term of fewer MPs, where you can kind of reshape the party in your mould. And there's very much some people, Braverman amongst them, who seem to think, that a kind of almost populist right, anti-immigration, cultural friendly, slightly Maloney, Orban-like way might be the way to do it. 
Is, is she right? Is this the future of, of the Tories? Well, I mean, she could be right in the sense it could see her or someone like her elected as party leader, because obviously the final verdict from that is amongst the party membership, who, as we saw with the Sunak versus Liz Truss contest, tend to prefer the more socially conservative, you know, and possibly culture war-esque person. And what do you think is the reason for that drift? Why are these ideas the ones with so much momentum on the right at the moment? It's a tricky one. I mean, some would argue, and some actually did argue, you know, some of the delegates argued that this is perhaps a sign of a party that's been in power for too long and has run out of ideas of its own is having to kind of import these ones. But this whole populist nationalism is actually quite popular in other countries, in Hungary, in Italy, you know, in the US. So there is a template for it to potentially work. The issue the Tories face, this demographic asteroids that's hurtling towards them, is the fact that for the first time in the history of polling, younger people who tend to start off more liberal, more left-wing, are not seemingly becoming more conservative as they age. You know, the median age to vote conservative is going up and up and up and up. And at the moment, they can see this position in which at some point their electoral base is going to entirely disappear. And I don't know, perhaps some are thinking, well, you know, rather than just having these slightly boring Sunakite policies, if we do engage, you know, with this quite radical populist agenda, you know, which has proved popular with some young voters in places like Hungary and Italy, maybe we can, you know, revamp the brand. But that fights against the fact that all the polling shows that the younger you are, the more liberal you like to be on these culture war matters. So, Peter, as this has all been playing out this week, how has Labour responded? What, what have they said? The Labour response has been kind of non-existent, really. They've just let these slightly strange people get on with it. Uh, you know, that's been their view. And if you talk to Labour MPs and shadow ministers, then their view is, I don't know, they're kind of wary in some ways, but largely slightly, uh, slightly puzzled. As an opposition politician, you always enjoy the sight of the governing party kind of at odds with each other. They are slightly wary of cultural issues. Trans rights is something that is a big split in the Labour Party too. And certainly Keir Starmer's uh, approach to it all has been, you know, whatever cultural war issues are raised, he metaphorically sticks two fingers in his ears and starts to hum. So they've been trying to ignore... I mean, the interesting thing is that Starmer himself has been raised a few times, you know, from the NatCon stage. And you know, there's, there's almost two things for, for, for Labour. One of them is the fact that they have to try and, or they don't have to, they want to try and ignore these very divisive issues as they can. But the other one, which is almost a challenge for your, you know, US-style, slightly more swivel-eyed culture warriors, is that if you tell a British voter, you know, these people are radical Marxists, they're trying to take control of the cultural institutions, universities and schools, and, you know, infect your kids with weird uh, ideas, and they ultimately want to take over the globe and, you know, stop democratic rights. These people will have an image of the head of uh, Keir, uh, Keir Starmer, who is not necessarily a radical. The thing is, we do actually have a glimpse of what the future could look like if the Tories do embrace these ideas more than they have already. In the US, the populist right, led by Donald Trump, has lost three national elections in a row. They succeeded in a long-standing goal of overturning abortion rights last year, and that's become a severe political problem for the Republican Party. 
At the same time, Australia's Conservative Party has also taken on many of these populist ideas, and they find themselves in the worst position since they were created, facing an existential crisis. Given those examples, is Michael Gove right to warn that right-wing populism is potentially a dead end for the Conservatives, that basically these issues get a small minority of people very angry, but but aren't really what the majority of people are thinking about every day? Well, talking to political experts and pollsters, that's certainly what they tell me. You know, certainly in terms of issues that voters will spontaneously raise as something that, as something that matters to them in their life, then cultural issues are way down you know, below everything from cost of living to NHS to access to a dentist to education, all that kind of stuff. The everyday life stuff seems to feature much, much more. Um, you know, but it can change. And one of the lessons that we've learned for the last you know, decade or so of politics in the UK is that someone who might appear like a fringe figure with a fringe view can take it into the mainstream. They can kind of tow it into the middle of politics. So Nigel Farage with Brexit made what was a pretty niche view within the Conservative Party, a very big dividing line, first of all within the party, then within the country. Farage also did the same thing with the small boats. I mean, when not quite so many, but quite a lot of people were crossing the channel, you know, in the backs of the trucks and things like that. No one particularly minded, but he was one of the people who made the small boats crossings. You know, according to Rishi Sunak, one of the five biggest issues the country faces at the moment. So it's not impossible. I'm not quite sure what the issues would be. Immigration is certainly one that has a certain amount of salience amongst um, the voting public. But, you know, the other issue is that there is an argument that the Rwanda deportation policy perhaps takes immigration already towards the limit of what the UK public would consider fair. There's not a lot of space there. And the other one so far, whether it's, you know, trans rights, you know, this fight about, you know, kind of racial theories or stuff like that, currently still feels very marginal. So is is the point here that it's easy to dismiss these guys, but you don't necessarily need to be popular or in line with the direction of the country to have a big influence on, on politics? Well, I guess there's two things going on. Yes, one of which is the fact that it is perfectly feasible for someone from the Conservative cultural right to take over the party after the next general election, lead it down that road, you know, and as the leader of what would probably be the second biggest party in the Commons, they'd have a lot of influence and those ideas could, you know, spread. But the other thing, the more long-term thing, is that we don't really know what the biggest issues of the future are going to be. And the UK has always prided itself of not being a country that's politically susceptible to these populist ideas. But, you know, Brexit was essentially a populist idea that moved from the fringes, so these other things could do the same thing. Peter, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was Peter Walker, The Guardian's deputy political editor. His work from the NatCon can be found at theguardian.com. Before we go, Guardian columnist Marina Hyde is on tour in June for a series of live events around the country. Marina will be joined in London by Jonathan Friedland on the 1st of June, in Leeds by Gabby Hinsliff on the 7th of June, and in Brighton by Gary Young on the 13th of June. You can go see any of the shows in person, and the London show will also be live-streamed. Tickets are available now at theguardian.com forward slash live tour and that is it for today this episode was produced by lucy hoff sound design was by solomon king the executive producer was phil maynard have a good weekend we're back monday this is the guardian
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.